podcast. I'm Annie. I'm Bill. We're here to talk about more garbage. How's Octodad? Uh, I've only played a little tiny bit. What's funny is that Octodad actually guilted me into being an actual adult. Because I started playing Octodad and uh, my wife was watching it. She was like kind of sitting there in, in kind of disbelief going, is this really the game? Is really the game you're just an octopus pretending to be a band trying to do regular things as regularly as possible? And it was when I was mowing my lawn in-game that made me realize I really need to mow my lawn. So I stopped playing and went and mowed my lawn. <laughs> so what's... Well, what's so uh, it's, it's, so it's all just like mission-based stuff or what? Yeah. Yeah, it's like you're, you're, you're in these environments and then you are told various ways you need to interact with the environment without drawing too much attention to the fact that you're timed obviously an octopus. Yeah. I'm sorry, what was that, Bill? Is it timed? Uh, I have not hit anything that's timed yet. Oh, so you're so you have to pretend that like, like you're pretending that you're human. You're trying to make it yeah. to so that people. Oh, that's actually kind of clever. Yeah. So you can't be too obviously fucked up. Well, but you got like a wife and kids, and so it was yeah. well, Jimmy. We were watching our friend of the podcast, Jimmy Pressler, last night playing uh, the game, and I asked him, like, you have a normal wife. Is that Octo Mom? Is it, like the whole Octo family? Because you're Octo Dad. I mean, you're the mom's not an octopus though. No. I guess you're the only person who knows you're an Octodad, whereas to everyone else you're like Mr. Smith or something. I'm just going to say this, that maybe in a game where you play an octopus who disguises himself as a man, maybe it doesn't follow the rules of science, (laughs) and you just kind of have to roll with it. So what, like, do the thumbsticks control each arm or something? Um, Your thumbsticks control, uh, depending on which buttons you have pressed down, they're either your feet or your hands. Okay. So yeah, it's it's a very goofy game, very fun. I bought it just mostly just because uh, I want to support uh, Sony's indie initiative on the PS4. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I remember Octodad was like one of the first things they showed when yeah. they were like when they were talking about their indie initiative, which is kind of funny because I haven't heard actually that many people talk about it this week until uh, Jimmy actually tweeted out the link that he was playing and broadcasting it. I had no idea it was actually out on the PlayStation Four this week. Yeah, it just it just launched. Yeah. So how much uh, is yeah, it? Is it is it is it cheap? Uh, for, I want to say it's $15 unless you're a plus member, in which case it's $12. That's not too bad. I mean, I just dropped 15 bucks on, uh, NES Remix for the the Wii, and that is just, that's not even a real game. That just has together bits of old 8-bit Nintendo games, and I paid 15 bucks for that. So if I can pay 15 bucks for that, I can pay 15 bucks for Goddamn Off the Dead. Really, Octodad is, is worth it just because, like I said, it encouraged me to go to my yard. My yard was, like, a big... It still is a festering wasteland of ill care. So uh, I, thought you had my... like a t- I thought you had like a tiny ass little yard. You have a tiny ass little house. We How do. do. How's it that t- much of a wasteland? Because like some, some fallout bullshit. It turns out that when you don't maintain things, shit goes bad. And when yeah. shit goes bad, it's hard to maintain. So <sighs> we had to go out there and we had to run to the hardware store and buy a bunch of shit. We just bought from a friend who's downsizing from a house to a condo a bunch of power tools. So we had like a hedge trimmer and a wood chipper and all this other shit that we got to use the fuck out of yesterday. And I went and got a weed corer because I have so many fucking weeds in my yard. All this shit for like a yard that's the size of like an island in the middle of the the highway. Dude, we spent... No, my my yard is bigger than that. We oh, spent... Yeah? two hours working on our yard and we probably we still have probably about six hours of work to do. is it at least in close enough so like you guys are gonna get all hot and sweaty while, while doing yard work you guys can start kissing and be like hey how you doing at least take yes. advantage of the fact that you're doing all this yard work and be like oh i'm uh-huh. all grimy and would you rub my back and 
Oh, my feet. Can you just suck the sweat off my feet? Bill, you yeah. cannot eroticize yard work. Yard work is so exhausting. <laughs> Even if you were, if you did have a fetish where nothing made you hotter than being covered with grime yeah. and being all bloody from ripping up rose bushes See, that and sucks, all this yeah. shit. But what it's if you, like, you're what so if, exhausted. What if you mow the lawn with a horsetail butt plug? That would solve all my problems, Bill. You've got it. And then uh-huh. like, when you actually run over a piece of metal, you have to bend over and, like, you know, sort it out. And then you have to actually sit down and, like, clean out the 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 treads. And, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> you are just saying that, Bill. No, but uh-huh. wood chippers are awesome, by the way. And I only fantasize about shoving my hands so and do you... it about eight or nine times. Yeah, what do you yeah. put, like, what, 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 like, do you guys have wood to chip? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've got all sorts of bushes and trees and shit. That oh, were... okay. So what do you do with, like, the, the mulch? Man, this is the least interesting <laughs> opening to Boy Howdy ever. What do you do with the stuff that the wood chipper creates? Well, at the end of the day, it's, like it's compost? just easier to fill your uh, your bin with chips than it is with branches. <sighs> wow. So. Wait, what took... bin? Like, your compost bin? No, my, uh, my yard waste bin. What's this a yard is really waste good bin? podcasting. You're not wrong. Do you have a so yard anyway, waste bin? You do too, Bill. The big no, that's green like the, bin. Co- the big green bin. That's the compost bin. Bill, do you fill that with compost every week? I try to. I, you know <laughs> what? You know what? Actually, I stopped using the toilet and I just go straight into there now. I just made a seat. I just, uh. <laughs> yeah, no, it's easy. You just get a wooden plank and just so, uh, just. Actually, I don't have any tools like you do, so I just, I, I just, I, I. So, you know. You, I learned from Kill Bill how to punch holes through wood. There you go. Uh-huh. So I just took a wooden plank and just a uh, five finger punched my uh, hole through the wood, and I just you know it's 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 like using a commode in Hogan's Heroes. There That's you what go. I use. But yeah, now I laid, I laid a plank over the mouth of the compost bin, mm-hmm. and I heal the earth with 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 <laughs> Good my job, butt. Bill. Yeah. Heal the earth with my butt. Well done. <laughs> when I'm sitting on the back porch, just loudly exploding into the in, in, into the compost bin, that's what I scream. I'll heal the earth. Anyway, Octodad gets points for me because not only did I enjoy playing this ridiculous game, but I also did chores. Very rarely do games encourage me to perform chores. They are usually in a way to avoid my chores. No. So good job. Man, so wait, did you did you start watching Orphan Black this week? Um, I watched all of season one. Oh really? What did you think of episode four when when the thing happens? Wow, Bill. We we watched it all in the span of about 48 hours, so yeah. I can no more distinguish one episode from another than I can, you know. Who's your favorite clone? <laughs> so let's take a step back. Bill and I apparently both got into Orphan Black this week. Orphan Black being a Canadian sci-fi series about... Yeah, it's uh, weirdly Canadian, but you have a lot of British people that show up for no reason. I know Canada's part of the Commonwealth, but it's still kind of funny to be like... There are two British people that show Bill. Is that a lot to you? Really? Oh, okay. (laughs) God damn it, Bill. There's a Mexican guy. So what do you think of Orphan Black? So Orphan Black is a sci-fi show in which a a woman who is a troubled youth 
discovers that she is, in fact, one of a series of clones and gets caught up in this conspiracy. The thing about uh, Orphan Black that's really impressive is it is a fucking tight little show. Like, there is no there is no fat on those bones. A lot of shit happens in that, and it is all relevant to furthering the plot. Mm-hmm. It's one of the tightest shows I've ever seen. Like, seriously. And then on top of that, you have this one woman play multiple roles, and she does a phenomenal job, and she ain't bad to look at. And you get... Orphan Black is one of the only shows I've ever seen you actually see the moment of penetration on the screen. Really? So way to go, Orphan Black. Was I was I blacked out that episode? That was the first episode. The first episode has a sex scene, and there was very clearly the moment when he puts his dick inside her body. It was an intrigue. Her boyfriend, like, right? right Paul or whatever? Yeah. I t- wait, how did... How did you not notice that? I've never well, seen it in a TV like, show before, really. Was, like, was there, right. like, psychic feminine waves that I did not pick up on because I have a penis maybe that, will. like... Huh, I'll have to go back and rewatch that. Okay. So, anyway, uh, yeah, Orphan Black is a really fucking good little show. I'm, yeah. uh, I have some friends coming over this evening. We're going to start season two. Uh, how are you guys watching season two? Uh, it's Dumpster? broadcasting on the BBC website. Oh, wait, how are you guys watching the BBC website? Do you guys have, like, a... I just push it from my laptop to the Apple TV. Uh, but I thought that was, like, region locked. Foley was watching it yesterday. It's apparently on the BBC America uh, website or something okay. like that. Okay, that's so. that's pretty cool. Uh, who's your favorite... Yeah, who's your favorite clone? Uh, probably... I don't remember their names, uh, but Soccer Mom Clone is my favorite, just because she's, I think, the most interesting of all the characters. I do like Asian Clone. Um... What, there's not an Asian clone? See, I need to watch past the pilot. <laughs> I've always seen the first episode. I do like uh, the part where uh, Emperor Palpatine orders uh, uh, orders, orders, order 66. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and then the clones... Well, then they're, like, looking for someone to shoot, but since Jedi don't exist in the world... Are you just making a Clone Wars joke? Is that all you Yeah, doing? because the Clone Wars... <laughs> the Order 66 makes the Jedi go crazy, and tra- or it makes the clones go crazy. I'm just saying my life is filled with clones right now. From what... Okay. Uh, from, I, I, I got fucking uh, uh, weird-faced lady clones on this, and, and I got these uh, fucking Mayari dudes... Like with shit shaved in their heads on the other side, I'm just like, guys, too many clones. Do you remember the episode of Parks and Rec where Tom? I think it was from this season where Tom meets the really cute doctor and goes on a couple of dates <laughs> with the doctor and things go really poorly. Do you remember yeah. that episode? That doctor is the lady from Orphan Black. Yeah. Really? Yeah. The main character. Yes. Oh my god, I have to go back. Man, Tom has a history of dating super hot ladies who only show up for four episodes and never show up again. Yeah. Uh, he dated uh, Natalie Morales for a couple episodes, and she's uh, not only super hot, but also super fucking funny. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny, if you follow her on Twitter, she's always constantly confused with the Natalie Morales, who's the host of the Today Show. And so you get people yelling at her about stuff that the Natalie Morales on the Today Show says. And then she'll uh-huh. tweet back, fuck you. And then the people are like, oh my god, I can't believe the lady from the Today Show said fuck you to me on Twitter and stuff. It's pretty good idea. Hilarious. Um, but no, I totally... Uh, did you, did you, Man, do you remember the one episode of Parks and Recreation where it seemed like it was the last episode ever and at the end they had to tell you, uh, we're coming back for next season, this is not the season finale, or series finale, and you're like, wow, that's crazy. 
Sure. <laughs> no! And there was a crazy uh, Battlestar Galactica time jump. You don't remember that episode? Oh, you mean the season finale of Parks and Rec that you just spoiled? Yeah! Yeah. yeah. Yes, I remember What'd that. What'd you think? What'd you think? Yesterday. Spoilers for Battlestar... Or, yes, well, also spoilers <laughs> for Battlestar Galactica. Um, what'd you think the, of the Parks and Recreation? You know, it's interesting. The only two TV shows that my wife and I are watching right now, though I guess one is now over, are Hannibal and Parks and Rec. Mm-hmm. And so Saturdays, we have a ritual where we'll watch, uh, we'll, she'll make breakfast and we'll watch those two shows. Mm-hmm. And it's great because those two shows are comfort food to me in very different ways. Very, very different well, no ways. no shit, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I liked the Parks and Rec finale. My only complaint is that we watched on we we subscribed to Parks and Rec on iTunes, and on iTunes they had the extended version. Oh really? And inevitably, extended versions always feel a little loogie because they add you know five minutes of content that really yeah, exactly, isn't yeah. necessary. So it feels like weirdly paced. So. That was my only complaint with that, but it was really very cute, very charming, and I'm excited about the new status quo, because I, I've enjoyed the season of Parks and Rec, but I know others haven't, and the new status quo was not really going anywhere, so I'm excited about resetting what is normal on that show. What do you mean they didn't enjoy the new status quo? Oh, what with, the, like, the, like uh... Leslie, uh, yeah, Leslie having uh, triplets? You you are one of the people who were, was not digging this season. Well, I just think, not not because they've done anything in particular, it's just the fact that the show's been around for six years, and, yeah, and it there's only so many stories you can tell. Ah, I didn't really dislike the season, it's just like after a while things get a little stale, but yeah, you know what, I wanted exactly. Realize. So, okay, so this this episode of Parks Recreation, which seems to be, uh, seriously, watching the episode, I was like, is this, was this supposed to be like a series finale, not just a season finale, because they wrap up a whole lot of uh, stuff, and there's callbacks to pretty much everything that's ever happened on the show. Um, fucking uh, Duke Silver is exposed, mm-hmm. which of all the things that happened in that episode, I'm like, oh man, this show, is, this episode is getting real. They they exposed Duke Silver. Um, what they had a holographic uh, Sebastian the Pony. That was pretty good, little Sebastian. <laughs> oh yeah, everyone sings the Sebastian Pony five thousand candles in the, in yeah. the sun. But yeah, I thought so. At the end of the episode, it ju- uh, time jumps three years into the future, and I thought that was just going to be a little like. Almost like a little raising Arizona style, like just a little fantasy sequence at the end, just showing what the future could be, and that you know you'd come back next season, it would just be you know six months in the future. But no, no Michael like, sure has come out and said that that's the new status quo. Yeah, which the, he was talking about. Well, we can't be so. We have to be a little more little. Like, when we make pop culture references and stuff, it's going to be a little more interesting because now we're going to be predicting the future. Although yeah. I predict a shitload of episode seven was either very good or very bad jokes from Ben. That's going to be kind of funny to see next fall. But, uh, yeah, no, he's also come out and said, yeah, next season is going to be the last season. So, which is nice to see that, you know, they can plan for yeah. that. It's not just, yeah, it's, it's not going to get dragged out or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's I'm cool that you don't have to deal with a, th- a shitload of episodes about uh, Leslie, like, raising the kids. I mean, her right. kids are only going to be three years old. They're still going to be little, little kids. But you don't have to go through all this stuff that you just went through with Anne's pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And she still gets to go back to being... Uh, a leader, I don't know. She gets to be a professional. It just suddenly doesn't come and turn into a mom show. Yeah, a domesticated like yeah. I like that it was the jump. They also switched to more like a um, West Wing style like cinematography of it, yeah. like much more walk and talk sort of stuff. I'm, I'm assuming that was just for that little joke at the end because it I'm is sure. totally West Wing. Yeah, I can't I'm imagine. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Although they do have a darker, more professional set now, all handcrafted by. Uh, Ron Swanson. This is true. Which I was wondering 
what I, I for, the, for most of the season, I thought what was I thought the season was going to end with her announcing that she was going to run for mayor and that was going to become her mayor's office. But I guess that's oh, dude, she she totally lost the hearts and minds of Pawnee. How oh, I know, I know, I know. Mayor? But I thought there would be a thing where she would be like, okay, well, I don't know. It makes sense that have they ever shown the mayor of Pawnee? Uh, no, I don't think so. Which is kind of weird. If my wife were here, she could tell me. My wife, her her relationship with Parks and Rec is far deeper than mine is even. And uh, she started weeping during the finale because she Aww. was just like, it's just so beautiful. It's all coming together. And she, exactly, she's like, it feels like an ending. And I'm like, because it is an ending. I do like the part where Ben and Leslie arbitrarily end up in San Francisco for some reason. And the part where they're walking around the Redwoods, I'm like, oh my god, they're on Endor. And the moment I said Endor is the same moment that Ben on the TV said Endor. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah fist bumps to the TV. Because yeah. I totally knew they were just going for that joke the moment I saw the Redwoods. <laughs> um, yeah, no, Parks and Recreation, that was very... Oh, that's, that's weird because Parks and Recreation has had a couple... Like, there's been a couple parts, uh, episodes on the show, where it almost seems like that could have been a series finale there. Well, you didn't Yeah, even, that, you, well, I thought that was the joke you were making. Yeah. Well, I mean, you had the original Harvest episode episode. Episode episode. Show me the And even this season, there was, like, the episode where Anne left, and yeah, that definitely felt like a finale. Yeah, that's the other one where you could have... And that, that, was the, that was the very cool episode that ended with, like, the camera pull out, and you get to see all of Pawnee for the very first time. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, that kind of seemed almost like a uh, series finale a little bit. Right. But, I don't know. So I'm assuming the actual series finale is just going to be, it's pretty much just going to end in mid-sentence. Considering they've already had a couple series finales, now it'll just be like Leslie yep. closing a door and then just like, hey, I love, so- uh, and then suddenly like, next on The Pretender. <laughs> there we go. Now you figured it out. Or the Holy. NBC game show host uh, hosted by What's-Her-Face, the blonde lesbian tell me about- chick. Tell me about NES Remix 2. It's good. It's a whole bunch of uh, 8-bit Nintendo games remixed together. Except it's good ones, eh? So Nintendo for the Wii U put out um, NES Remix 1, which was all, like, the very first Nintendo games put out for that system. So it was a really terrible games like Clue Clue Land and Urban Champion. And now they come out with a new NES Remix game that is, like, Super Mario Brothers 2, Super Mario Brothers 3, Legend of Zelda 2, which is one of the best Zeldas. Don't let the fucking haters trick you. Uh, all, all kinds of good stuff. And, uh, yeah, I'm just kind of playing that. Oh, it's weird because, like, like they divvy up the games into little challenges, like jump on three Goombas mm-hmm. or, you know, defeat Bowser. But then they yeah. start mixing up stuff where, like, you have to defeat Bowser as, like, Samus from Metroid or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool little stuff, but, yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's a nifty little game. The end. <laughs> Bill, tell me about watching Def Green beat Dark Souls 2. Jeff Green, uh, P- <sighs> Jeff Green, he's an old man. He's one of the oldest members of the, uh, the video game press. Uh, when you say old man, how he, old is he? He's 52. Oh my god. He has slightly graying hair. Which that shows you how brutal the games industry is. That, like, you could be 50 and it's like, oh, he's geriatric. Mm. Um, so... Uh, he back in November he started playing Dark Souls on the PC and he's been uh, live streaming it and mm-hmm. he just finally beat the first game, uh, just like three days ago. Uh, he made it his mission to try to beat the game before Dark Souls Two came out for the PC, which just happened on Friday. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he's not necessarily he's not that he's not a bad player, but he uh, he he started off he was not very good at Dark Souls, but he beat the fucking bo- he beat Dark Souls One, which I never even did. 
And it was crazy seeing him fight the last boss because it looked like he was totally getting his ass kicked. Yeah. And there's this basic mechanic in Dark Souls called uh, pairing and repost, which is basic sword fighting terms where, you know, like, yeah, like someone lunges you with his sword and you just knock their sword away and then you, like, essentially attack back. This is a basic Dark Souls fundamental thing that you should learn at the beginning of the game. He didn't know this thing even existed until people were yelling at him to do this for the final boss fight. <laughs> so not only was he fighting the final boss, but also at the same time trying to learn how to do this like parry or post move, yeah. which is the only way to seemingly to kill the final boss. Oh, and wow. so like on his like fourth try, he actually managed to pull it off and you have to like parry and repost like five times in a row. And he finally actually managed to do it. And it was just like, oh my God, I can't believe it. It was great. Mm. <laughs> It was it was great, you know. The whole he had a shitload of people following him on Twitch, and then you went like right after NeoGaf exploded, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, I can't beat it!" And it was just like it was like some bad news bears bullshit. It was fucking hilarious. <laughs> so he did that. Now, yeah, just literally like 6 p.m. last night, he started his uh, Dark Souls two stream. So that that That's was that was adorable. just kind of cool. And he's just really funny because it's not just like him just watching him play a game, but he provides like really ridiculous commentary and is super self-effacing and it's just funny to listen to him play this shit yeah um so yeah it's 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 he's a really good example of twitch streaming as like pure entertainment and it's not sure. just like oh, i like watching super mario brothers so i'll just watch someone play super mario brothers but he's like he's more entertaining than we are let's put it this way <laughs> yeah so that's people listening cool. now should just shut shut this off and just go <laughs> go look up his youtube archive yeah. Of Jeff Green plays Dark Souls stuff, but it, it was very goddamn cute. It was like watching a TV show. It was like well, it was like the geek equivalent of watching like a a very specific weird little sporting event. Well, that's that's the thing. That's what live streaming is at its best. Is yeah. like you get that because that's what gaming is at its best. Oh when, yeah, when it's like, yeah. You get that sort of feeling of victory and triumph, and the idea of sharing that is super compelling. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love Jeff Green. He's just the best. Have you ever seen Jeff Green or heard about him very much or anything like that? Because I know Only... he's kind of a niche personality. Only through you. Let me see oh, if okay. I remember. He was on the One Up podcast and was part. Yeah, of that he was crew, part of that network. Yeah, but he then became the like community manager person for Peggle. Yeah, Am I yeah, correctly? You know, yeah, you know what's see? up. There we go. Now he left Peggle and now he's just like working for himself. He's like advising. Not Peggle. I should say PopCap. Yeah, should, whatever. You know, PopCap's getting fucked up. Supposedly they're they're kind of like going down the drain. Like they're not making that as much money as they used to. Yeah, that's what there. happens when your when your success is based on like one or two properties. Yeah, seriously. So what watch else? out, King Saga, or whatever the fuck. Uh, Candy Bill, Crush or whatever. Here's a sentence I really don't want to ask you, but I'm gonna ask you because it's in your show notes. And if I don't ask you about it, then you're gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna bring go, it up in the worst way possible. Hold on. What? Let's let me check my notes. We missed something. <laughs> I wanna. Uh, I wanna talk about. The Game of Thrones controversy. So, Bill, do you, so you haven't me. seen the episode, right? I stopped watching Game of Thrones. What, uh, like voluntarily? Yeah. Why? Because it's Game of Thrones. What the hell? Those books. What the, it's not what does fun. that mean? It's a relentless slog through misery, and all the characters I like suffer in a way that is not enjoyable to watch. So I'm fucking done with Game of Thrones. It really does seem they may have uh, jumped the shark this time too. Well, did did you hear what happened in this episode? What the controversy is? Yes, I did, is? and that's why I really am not excited about talking with you about it. Because talking with you about any sort of uh, sexuality is really uncomfortable. Not <laughs> sexuality. I just approach it from like a creative, like writing thing. Sure. No, absolutely. Um, so okay, spoilers for Game of Thrones. Uh, so King Joffrey. He seepies. He seepies forever. Mm-hmm. Which actually, that, that in itself led to a lot of great, I mean, it gives of people putting googly eyes on his head and all kinds of, of stuff course. like that. So anyway, so uh, King Joffrey is dead. 
uh, it's his funeral, and uh, there's a big, you know, big funeral procession held for him. And after the funeral, uh, Cersei and uh, his parents, essentially, Cersei and Jaime, uh, I guess in the books, fuck next to his corpse. Mm-hmm. Yes. Although reading the excerpts, which were published online just as, as a result of the changes they made in this episode, where this, was something like that happens. Um, I guess in the original book, for some reason, Cer- uh, Jamie approaches Cersei and they start making out, but it's it's kind of rapey, but then turns into consensual sex. It's it's kind of that weird zone of just like contentious the, power play shit. It is the official end of their relationship. Like, yeah. Where their relationship stops being something, I mean, I you gotta say it, stops being something positive and based out of love. Yeah. Yeah, however creepy and uncomfortable that may be, and turns into something poisonous. This yeah. is kind of the moment where that happens, but it is still a consensual moment. Yeah. So, the shorthand, the TV show shorthand uh, for this was, uh, Jamie just rapes Cersei. Um... Yeah, and that's, it's not, it's, not, I almost almost said it's not violent. I mean, it's violent, you know, rape is a violent act, but it, it, it's not like, you, like, it's fucked up. But, so, this, this, it is a water change, a watershed change for the show, though, where yeah. it seems completely arbitrary, unless this really is the show creator's, uh, their shorthand for showing how, yeah, well, pretty much what you said, like, their, their, their relationship becoming poisonous and it's no longer, like, anything even resembling love or anything. So, where I, I object to this, obviously, for a lot of reasons, but the, it, sexual assault is uncomfortable and you gotta be really fucking careful whenever you use it in yeah. any sort of medium, but, um... Uh, what just hearing about it, what makes me most upset about it is the thing that I love about Cersei's character is that she makes terrible choices all the time, but she always thinks that she is wronged and she always thinks that she deserves triumph or that her, the, like her, her weak moments are actually triumphs and every single thing she has done, she has chosen to do. Mm -hmm. And like, she is entirely her own agent. That is the thing about Cersei, and that's why I find her a really interesting character, yeah. is that she cho- makes every single choice herself. And anything, She's a character who stands very fucking tall. Yeah. Yeah. Anything that you do that removes agency from Cersei, you are weakening that character, and you are undermining the whole point of that character. Uh, so just also, on isn't that, that level. Isn't that the whole point of her journey coming up, though, too? Her journey it's, coming up. Well, she gets kicked in the teeth, and she. I mean, this is this is her st- the beginning of her process of essentially being stripped of all that, right? She, uh, she, she thinks she wins because she gains power, but everything is going worse and is getting more and more out of her control, and she yeah. doesn't even really perceive that until finally it's all gone. Yeah. So I, yeah, I don't, I can't remember where exactly in this journey that happens. I mainlined all the Game of Thrones books, also, yeah. So they're all kind of a big blur to me, but it's just that just makes me uncomfortable well, for eight different reasons. Can, there's also there's two ways to look at it too, because there's the reasons for why they made the change, and there's also just the in universe in universe thing where people seem to think that Jamie's incapable of doing such an act. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is a character, this the the first episode of the show ends with him pushing a kid out of a window with the intent to yeah. murder the kid. Yeah. Um. I they, they've done in the last season half they've done a really good job of making Jamie a really sympathetic character, and oh, yeah. even leading up to this episode, because uh, Jamie just like two episodes he finally got fitted with his prosthetic hand because he's lost a hand, 
And there's been a lot of talk about how he's old, he's like 40 years old, he only has one hand now. And they've done a really good job of making him really sympathetic. For him to suddenly turn around and rape another character, even if it's his own sister, and even though they're both kind of villains in the show, it's kind of like... But it's funny to see people think who think it's just like, that's, oh my god, Jamie can't do that. But Jamie's done so much worse on this show! Yeah, he's but a bad man. He's a bad and man, and people got lulled into this thing of him, like, thinking... Well, I see, this is where I think they've kind of jumped the shark, because they've killed so many protagonists on this show... People watching the show now are just looking mm-hmm. for any excuse for like the, the new like any characters to hang on to as like okay well maybe this is supposed this is supposed to be the person that we're supposed to be getting emotionally invested in. especially because like I said in the last couple of episodes have done a very good job of making Jamie very sympathetic and so yeah then he just turns out and rapes his sister and it's like what the fuck and yeah I can't blame anyone who aside from the sexual politics and the politics of why like them just are making this seemingly arbitrary change. It's completely understandable why, at this point, you might say, you know what? Fuck Game of Thrones. So, I mean, but that's kind of Game of Thrones. The whole thing about Game of Thrones is that there are no good people. Like, no one is good in Game of Thrones. Everyone mm-hmm. is is flawed. And I like that about Game of Thrones, that there really are no white knights. Like, even the closest you get is Ned, and even Ned had an affair. Yeah, and sure, true. there are yeah. reasons why, but still, it's like he... He made bad decisions. Well, and so many of the characters have done so much worse than yeah. than rapes. It's just funny that, mm. and not even funny. It's just weird that like, rape. Um, well, people have been also been comparing this to the first episode too, where well, maybe it wasn't the first episode, but the other big rapey moment in the show was the wedding night of well, Blondie Chick and Big Cable Daenerys and, and and Drogo. And it's 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 kind of a Rorschach test because I've seen people both compare this negatively and or positively to that where i've seen people think that the 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 show's depiction of their wedding night is either really really good or really really bad just depending on your own personal politics basically it all boils down to consent is tricky to depict yeah exactly in 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 tv or movies and especially when you have a very limited amount of time and when there's a moment of kind of blurred consent and in the books that it, the, both of those scenes are scenes of blurred consent where they make it, where George R. R. Martin, in all his creepiness, makes it pretty clear that the women are not not down, which is a th- tricky thing to manage. Yeah. But, and then to try and do that in TV, it just turns into pure assault. And yeah. that's. Hard. Well, I mean, you can even argue with the thing with, like, I've seen people say, well, if they had just depicted uh, Daenerys's. And, and Drogo's wedding night as as exactly as depicted in the books. It would have been so much mm. better. She's like 13 years old in the books. You could have you could have the most empowering like quasi rape marriage thing at the end. But the, by virtue of the fact that she's so young if you were to do that like would just turn people off. So there's always like I don't know. There's no simple solution to any of this stuff. Uh it's it's almost like the books it's almost like books are a better form for nuance when it comes to stuff like this. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I'm officially done talking with you about this. What else? Uh, what else? So I played, I finally finished Burial at Sea Part 2 mm-hmm. uh, last night. And gotta say, man, that's one of the weirdest DLCs I've ever played. And a big reason is just that it, they felt the need to call that Part 1 and 2 when they really feel like two pieces of content that are not even really connected. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it's really confusing as hell, too. Most You've got the whole multiverse thing going on, so it's all kind of a blur. Um, part one, you play a Booker DeWitt who is uh, in the Rapture timeline, has sold his daughter, and in doing so, when he passes her through the portal, instead of um, uh, losing her pinky, she loses her head. So he what? sees... Yeah, he sees his daughter get killed. And Is that what happens? Him. That that that's what happens in the first DLC. Yeah, well, you see this flashback, and that's what I caused heard lots of spoilers. Yeah, I heard spoilers, but I didn't realize that was what. So it really shakes him and breaks him in a fundamental way. Yeah. So he becomes a detective in Rapture, and the opening of part one is Elizabeth shows up, and he needlessly doesn't recognize her because this this Booker doesn't really know her. And, um, the, uh, he, she hires him to help track down this girl, Sally, who's gone missing. And Elizabeth has no relation to Sally, so her motives seem kind of weird, and she seems very enigmatic and other, and Booker is kind of attracted to her, but it's all kind of, you know, strange. And eventually you find out that, um, Sally, uh, you, she's a little sister, Mm -hmm. and that, um, you feel really compelled to save her because of, uh... Uh, you know, obviously you feel like you've wronged a little girl, so you need to save this little girl to help atone for your sins. Mm-hmm. In the end, Elizabeth, you track her down to this heating vent system, and you get all the splicers around her, and you're like, you're finally going to save uh, Sally, but she won't get out of the heating vent. And so you crank, Elizabeth cranks up the heat in the heating vents, and Sally is being boiled alive in this heating vents, but still doesn't want to come out because she's so scared. And you are like screaming, and like and she's screaming. It's like Sally, and you're like, and you, you, she, and Elizabeth chooses this moment to confront you, and is like, oh well, you killed, you killed Elizabeth. I'm Elizabeth. I'm here to wreak vengeance on you. And Big Daddy kills you because you're causing Sally to scream. And that's the end of part one. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm kind of interested in, I mean, I gotta say, the idea of Elizabeth, this Elizabeth, as this multiverse-spanning agent of vengeance is kind of an interesting thing, only because that's the sort of story you would not get to see a woman doing in video games. Mm -hmm. Like, you could see a dude being an agent of vengeance and that being a motivating factor in a video game, but I can't think of ever having seen that with a woman protagonist. So it's like, okay, that's kind of interesting. Except part two opens with you, and I barely remember all this, so bear with me. You find Elizabeth's dead body. That Elizabeth. Burial at sea part one, Elizabeth, is killed by uh, big the big daddy. Mm-hmm. And you are now an Elizabeth who has been sent to this universe. I think you're actually Bioshock Infinite Elizabeth. You are sent to this universe, and when you're sent to this, when you go to this universe, you lose your memory, and since you are dead in this universe, your nose is bleeding, because you're in the wrong timeline, yeah. and your time, your time is numbered, and somehow, you not only have lost your memory, you've lost your power, so you can no longer open tears. So, you have chosen to go into this universe, it's like a one-way but trip. you can't leave. Yeah. yeah. So and you can't remember why you chose to get into this universe, but obviously you had some sort of plan and you thought it was worth dying for. So over the course of Burial at Sea Part Two, you're like, well, then I'm going to save Sally. Never mind that 
you it's really confusing because you just saw Elizabeth in part one who thought so who cared so little for Sally in the sake of her for the sake of her vengeance that she was willing to burn Sally alive just to get Booker. So, you know, it's already kind of jarring from that perspective. And then um the uh you, you Elizabeth save decide hold on. You're there. I like now you're turning into Bill where like you're losing track of your own story halfway it's, through. It's so it's it's like that whole multiverse thing where it's like, <laughs> but in this timeline that's exactly, like yeah. So you're there, it's kind of like you're right there on the eve of the Revolt of Rapture. Yeah. And you essentially cause the events of Bioshock One. See, I've heard about this because yeah, aren't you aren't you trying to help out Fontaine? Yes. So yeah. Fontaine has Sally. And so you are trying, Fontaine is like, I'll give you Sally if you, um, uh, help me, um, A, get, like, my, raise, uh, get, get all of my guys who are trapped down in this area to Rapture so I can start this revolt proper, which yeah. you do, so you cause that action in Bioshock. And then he's like, I also need the ace in the hole. And the ace in the hole is the, um, you don't know what it is until the very end of the game, uh, it's the key phrase, it's the triggering phrase that Fontaine uses on the protagonist in Bioshock 1. It's, would you kindly? Yeah. You give Fontaine that information that he needs to manipulate the events of Bioshock 1. And during all this, as you're getting this, you realize that you chose, and you don't remember this, but you chose to go to this timeline to cause the events of Bioshock 1 because in giving Fontaine this trigger phrase, because Ryan is like, you're a fool, you a fool, Fontaine's gonna turn on you, you know this, he's going to betray you. And you say, ah, but really, Fontaine is the patsy here because by giving him this key phrase, I'm causing the events that will cause the protagonist from Bioshock 1 to come to Rapture and kill Fontaine and free the little sisters, and therefore free Sally. Hmm. And so the end of the of Burial at Sea Part 2 is Fontaine kills you, Elizabeth, main universe Elizabeth, but it's okay because this eventually will save Sally. And this is worth dying for. Is there well, so what 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 makes you think it's actually like like Bioshock Infinite Elizabeth, like the main the one that we know that we've spent time with? Uh it's, I don't know if she had, like, the choker or anything, like, like, very specific, anything where it would make it, like, that that's got to be the one that we know. Or maybe the, that's what, yeah. The whole thing is that she's saying that she has, the only way it makes sense that it's main Elizabeth, main universe Elizabeth, is that this Elizabeth could see all doors and see behind all doors. Oh, okay. So she, she was omniscient. And she was able to see that if she took these course of actions, it would result in the destruction see, of the See, that's an interesting question, because, yeah, if Elizabeth exists in all these other multiverses, yeah, does that suggest that there's only one one Elizabeth with that kind of degree of power? Do other Elizabeths have some kind of variation of that power, or are they all equally as powerful? And, and also, I guess this DLC doesn't do anything about that or anything? Well, not... It's pretty clear like, that what? you are that Elizabeth. Okay, regardless. The, yeah, which makes sense, because, yeah, because... Like, yeah, okay, okay, okay. And yeah. this other Elizabeth was a different Elizabeth with different motivations. Oh. And also it only makes sense because in this DLC you're hopping between Rapture and uh, uh, Columbia. 
And they retcon all this stuff in both Bioshock 1 and Bioshock Infinite. The biggest being that Daisy Fitzroy wanted you to kill her. What? Because the Latus, uh, the twins, told Daisy that if Elizabeth killed Daisy, that it would cause in the success of her revolution that Elizabeth needed to become a woman, and the twins say to Daisy, what's the difference? She needs to stop being a girl and become a woman, and what marks the change from a girl to a woman? And Daisy says, blood! So it's only by killing... I swear to Christ. It's only by killing Daisy that Elizabeth (laughs) can become the woman that she needs to be to cause the effects, events of Bioshock Infinite to happen, and then cause the revolt of Columbia to succeed. When Ken Levine wrote that, if he leaned back in his chair and was like, ho oh, ho, my masterpiece, that'll get him. Or if he leaned back in his chair and was like, eh, close enough. <laughs> Whatever. It's a thing. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's yeah. Just, yeah, it's just like, it was just so infuriating. And like, like I said, uh, as, as dumb as it is to have like multiverse Elizabeth, Agent of Vengeance, as, that, as much as that is dumb, and I'll admit that's dumb. I, can, at least I, mean, that's I like different. the gist of that. That's not uh, yeah. inherently a bad idea. And it's such a different and surprising idea because I was like, oh, that's kind of cool in that she, her being a woman is incidental and not part of her character. Yeah, exactly, she's just yeah. Primarily this Agent of Vengeance. And instead they tell this whole story where it's just... It feels very much so, to the point where I wonder if this is true, if part one was pretty well in development when um, when Bioshock Infinite came out, and part two was still being worked on, and if they rewrote part two due to the criticisms of, of Bioshock Infinite. Oh, no, because I know they were talking about how uh, they hadn't even started recording VO sessions for uh, part two as, like, like, around Christmas. Yeah, they must, because it feels very reactionary, and it feels like, yeah, I don't know, it's just, it's weird. It's It's so weird that this last bit of Infinite DLC, too, is pretty much just all about the original Bioshock, too. In a way, it's a very fitting way for um, Irrational Entertainment, or Irrational to have done their last thing, ties back to their most Which makes sense, because, yeah, it's, 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 it's the best thing that they've ever done but it is funny that like for bio even bioshock infinite is essentially just like is in service to the original bioshock it, it doesn't really stand on its own it's, it's and it just, totally uh, cheapens both properties you think so absolutely Why, I how does it cheapen the original bioshock you don't need to know to explain to feel the need to explain all this shit about bioshock that this is why this happened does not make either of those things better it's okay it does it does not make bioshock one stronger to know that the reason why fontaine was able to turn against ryan was because elizabeth unleashed them so this is the bioshock equivalent of midi-chlorians Pretty much. Yeah. It feels like fan fiction. It really is what it feels like. Okay, yeah. Where it's like just this needless connections and stuff. And like you find out that Su Chong and um and uh Fink were in communication and that they were sharing their studies with each other and like that's why the songbird and the big daddies are similar and I mean that makes just... sense you could you could even insinuate that just from their their design in the original game well the the the, the, the infinite does a lot of that where yeah. it's kind of insinuated that like most of their technology is yeah. is is leaked through from rapture but it's, yeah. it's but it's def- and I when it's I, that absolutely. dependent on that stuff though 
It's, yeah. yeah. Like, it's, the, this whole DLC, all it does is kind of underline it and explain. And the insinuation is so much stronger than an explanation. Yeah. And it's just, like, it's just so upsetting that the last... I was so excited about being able to play Elizabeth and seeing what Elizabeth as a character on her own would be like and, like, what kind of journey she would go on her own. And it's just not interesting. It's just a... a they managed to waste that character even more. It's just... Ugh. Bioshock Infinite, you fools! <laughs> oh, my God. I just want there to be a third piece of DLC where it's about her... Uh, becoming postmenopausal, uh-huh. and someone comes under and says, "You know what the difference between a woman and an old woman is? Golden girls." <laughs> and someone's got like the Golden Girls black set, or like, "Let's go gambling," or I don't know. Yeah. Now I really want to hack Bioshock Infinite, so when you meet old Elizabeth, it's just B. Arthur. <laughs> oh, I forgot there is an old Elizabeth in there. Yep. Man, Bioshock Infinite even sucks balls even a year later with its own DLC that's supposed just, to wrap up the whole thing. Yeah. It's just such a waste. It's uh, like that's to, for the best for the best ending of at the end of the day, like Bioshock Infinite had a lot of problems, but I really wanted to like Elizabeth the whole time. I really wanted to like her. Mm-hmm. And that the number one best ending you can think of for Elizabeth is that she dies so that Sacrificing herself for the nameless, faceless protagonist of Bioshock 1. Yeah. Ooh. But Susie, Sally, whatever she... Yeah. It's kind of weird because it kind of codifies the good ending of Bioshock, the original Bioshock. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, all of a sudden, if you did the bad ending of Bioshock 1... Well, fuck you. you. You have officially made Elizabeth's death a waste. <laughs> Although, I mean, that is a good ending. I mean, that's the ending I got. That's the ending I like the best of what I've seen of them, you know. You get the of whole, what? The, the bad end. ending? No, the good ending. Oh yeah, they're gonna make one ending canon. The good ending made me cry. I it really did actually. Man, I'm sorry. Would you would you have if knowing what you know now? Would you have spent time and money on this stuff? That's kind of an arbitrary question, which doesn't really make sense to even ask. But I don't know if you're like that disappointed by it, or if you think you were better off without this. I mean, at the end of the day, it's interesting. It makes, and there was something empowering about playing a game with a female protagonist. Like, even playing a shooter with a female protagonist was empowering. Like, little things, like, to see the hand that was holding my pistol had chipped nail polish. Yeah. And as I walked to hear the clip of 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 heels on the floor, like, that was empowering. And... It made me really yearn for something as simple as a shooter with a female protagonist. Like, it really did. Like, even that I would be happy with, just because it'd be fucking different. A different perspective. And a different motivation. Like, yeah. that's that's mo- mostly what I am disappointed in this with. It just feels like such a wasted potential. So, anyway... Uh, moral of story, now that I've entirely spoiled everyone on Burial at Sea, doesn't don't sound like play you, like, It doesn't sea. sound like you waste, like, it would have been, if you got spoiled, it sounds like you just saved everyone 15 bucks. The work, like, there's just all sorts of stuff in that DLC that made me feel uncomfortable, and one of the things that really made me feel uncomfortable was, there's a sequence where Fontaine has you captured, mm-hmm. and, um, he's tor- torturing you to get find out where the ace in the hole is. And you genuinely don't know. He thinks you know. So he's torturing you and torturing you during the fall of Rapture. And finally, he comes back and he's decided that 
Uh, the only way to get this information from you is to threaten you with a lobotomy. Yeah. So he is in the process of lobotomizing you. Like, he puts the spike in your face, and he's hammering it with a nail, and he's like, one more tap, and I've gotten through. And the only way Elizabeth is able to talk him down is by basically going, are you really threatening me with forgetting because you'd be doing me a goddamn favor? And then he for- he's forced, she calls his bluff. Yeah. And it was so uncomfortable. Like, it was, because I, all I could think of was, the reason why they're doing this is because I, as a player, know I'm playing a woman and know this is violence against women, and that's why this feels painful. If is, they would is never... it really that gendered? I feel like it is. I could not imagine them doing that same sequence to Booker DeWitt or to the protagonist from Bioshock 1 or 2. Why? I... I just don't see that happening. Like they, a I've never. Yeah, or even this threat of this action, it felt so. I don't know, like I don't know. Like I've played like Metal Gear Solid, where you've been tortured and stuff like that. Like it, there was like a degree of. Um, Again, this know, may there's... be gender playing into it because I'm a guy and I'm just like whatever. I've 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 experienced stuff like that in games before, but I don't know. Well, I've even played Bioshock and I've played the Metal Gear games, and I don't even remember those torture sequences. No, like this is—it just felt like weirdly pointed. You like, think? Well, that—that's uh, what I'm asking. Do you think it's more pointed just because she's a woman, and that's it? I felt like, it's like, not it, like I don't know. And then I don't know. And it was like weirdly like long. No. And uh, it was just very, it, it was really unnecessary. It made me really uncomfortable. And not uncomfortable in a way like, oh, wow, they're really getting to me. They're challenging my perceptions of what this could be. It's, it was just made me uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't know. It That's was valid. It, I mean, yeah. It was, eh. Bioshock, eh, it made me feel gross to make <laughs> eight different directions. That sucks when a video game makes you feel gross like that, especially a game that you're trying to be get into and you kind of like hope would not make you feel gross in that kind yeah. of way. I don't know. It's just it was weird fan fiction. Oh, was... speaking of feeling gross, have you ever seen the second Hobbit movie? I have not. I started watching part of that last night. I thought I had gotten at least halfway through it, and turns out I'd only watched like the first like quarter of it because that movie again <laughs> is like four hours long. So if you've watched forty five minutes, yeah, like in most movies that would be maybe about halfway over. No, that's only the first quarter. Uh, yeah. If you want to see a bunch of spiders get stabbed in the face, that is the movie for you. <laughs> if you want, like, Kill Bill Retribution to get spiders. I mean, granted, that... you have to suffer through the fact that there's spiders to begin with. Right. But right. holy shit, spiders get jacked up in that movie. That's good to know. If you That's want to, to see Charlie Cutter punch a spider to death in the face. <laughs> I'm just saying. Come on. It was worth him leaving uh, uh, Uncharted 2 just so he could punch a, uh, a spider in Wood in the face. That's insane. <laughs> So, speaking of punching spiders in the face, so Bioshock Infinite Burial at Sea Part 2 made me lose a lot of faith in gaming. Something that made me gain a lot of faith in gaming this week was actually, um, apparently one of the days at work this week were bring your kid to work day or something like that. Yeah. So, the guys in our IT department brought their kids, and so I got to meet this 12-year-old boy named Tristan, and... He was kind of like, you know, it's awkward. You're at your dad's workplace and yeah. there are all these adults here and you don't really know what you're doing. And his dad had to help one of my coworkers. So I was trying to distract him and like him like show him the toys on my desk. And we talked about Legos a little bit. And uh, I started, I can't remember how, but we started talking about video games. 
And he was so, it was the most heartwarming thing I've ever experienced because I asked him, well, what's your favorite video game? And he goes, probably Saints Row 3. So we wound up talking about Saints Row and it was so enjoyable. And the best part was, I was like, so uh, what did you like about Saints Row? And he's like, oh, you know, it was really fun to have all these guns and stuff feel powerful, like expected stuff. Yeah. But uh, we went, he, he was like, the only thing I thought was weird was at the end when they made you choose between saving your friends or getting the bad guy. And I was like, really? And we went up talking about moral choice in games. And he was like, I thought that was really weird because it was like, it felt kind of, it felt kind of fake. Like, who would choose, who wouldn't choose to save their friends? Like, it just seemed like it wasn't really a choice. <laughs> I was like... You go, little guy. If even you are sensitive to the weirdly um, amoral, like, choice, like, moral choice in games, where it's really like a sociopath test, or there's yeah, only yeah, one yeah. right answer, it's like, this is just a sign. But uh, we wound up talking about Uncharted a little bit. I was like, oh, well, you know, I really like Uncharted. He was like, I like those games, too. I really like games that have a story. And I thought that game was really like, I really like Drake. He was like, the only thing I didn't like was the spiders. Like, am I talking to baby like parallel <laughs> multiverse Annie? Like, what is going on? Oh God! Was there only was it only in Uncharted Three that like there's the cave full of spiders? Was that was that yes. the spider centric part of those games? That's what he was talking about. He was like, yeah, it was okay, really hard I remember that was kind of fucked up. I'm not spider phobic, yeah. and even that I was like, because eh. it's all dark and stuff. Yeah, and you're like, it's it's not like one or two big spiders, but it's like a whole. It's like a mass, a swarming yeah, it's mass. Like a tidal of wave. Them. I'm like, no. At that point, <laughs> I want to call them bunnies. <laughs> so we just got a comment exactly. from uh, Conley Smith on on Twitter who just said uh, whatever we were talking about exactly twenty minutes ago makes her so angry that she had to shut us off, but she also wishes us to have fun on the podcast. Yeah, we were talking about Game of Thrones. Yeah, which I so. can't. Yeah, see, that's the thing about talking about gender at Game of Thrones. It's completely justified if if you want to say you don't want to hear it, like a guy talk about the rape or even say the rape word. So yeah, that that that's the thing where like I like I like I want to talk about that, but I'm totally fine if. If a lady says, like, let's not talk about that, I will, I will back off. It's just, like, it's one of those things where I feel like I have nothing to add to the conversation that hasn't already been said. Yeah. And, it's like, and I, I can only fuck things up, too. It's not like... <laughs> and here's the thing, Bill. Like, legitimately, I feel like over the course of this podcast, like, you really, you, you do a really good, you've gotten a lot better with this sort of stuff, and I'm actually really proud of you. And, like... Right, well, see, do... that's the thing. If we're talking about rape, though, it shouldn't turn into a conversation about Bill. You're you're slightly less retarded than you were talking about this before. <laughs> it's I I hate the idea that the conversation will ever turn around to okay. Well, let's give a boy, let's give a man a medal because he is because he is vaguely less incompetent about talking about this. That is gender <laughs> politics right now in a nutshell. Um, you're the one at the disadvantage just by our genders in this conversation, but yet you're in the position of having to pet me so I feel better, <laughs> even though you're already feeling much more oogie about this than I could. So, welcome to the 21st century gender <laughs> politics. Anyway, so this 12-year-old boy made me feel really good about the future of video gaming, and at the same time made me feel 100 million years old, because literally, as he walked away, all I could think of was, if his favorite game is Saints Row 3, like, because he did say, he's like, I really liked the part where you were a toilet, and like, a tank, and all that stuff. Like, Saints Row 3 cool. is the best. And I was like, man, what did he think of the text adventure parts of that game? Like, did he have any point of reference for that? Or is yeah, like he must have been just like, well, this is what video games are. I guess am I, am I hacking? Is this hacking? <laughs> yeah, like, imagine seriously. growing up in Saints Row 3 is your baseline for video game experiences. Wow. Christ there, I mean, almighty. hey, you know, that's... 
The thing is that he had also played Last of Us, and that was really? the only the only time where I was like, "Damn, I would not let like my twelve year old kid play The Last of Us." Though to his credit. He did say that he um, came home one day and one of his siblings was playing it and beat the ending. He's like, I saw the ending and now I kind of don't want to play anymore because I just wanted to see what happened and now I know what happened. I'm like, you're a good kid, kid. I like you. So I've got to loan him Saints Row 4 now. Hopefully he he grows up with a crush on Ellie and then he gets older and he goes, oh, wait, I should have never, I never had a chance with Ellie. What was I doing? Because I don't live in that timeline, or... Well, also... Oh, that she's at least has one lesbian relationship. Yeah, done. Now I get what you're saying. Okay. Uh, that's a very goddamn cute kid. What was the kid's name? Tristian. Tristian? Tristian. Is that... Is that, like... What's the kid's name from Never Any Story? Isn't that, like, his name? Bastion. Bastion. You're thinking of Bastion. Pretty Fuck close. that kid. <laughs> anyway. And with that, we're going to take a break and be back for the Geek Week interview. Ryan rewards those who strong and able. Why work hard is putting food on the table. And if the good life is dessert, then I gotta ask why. Why don't I have a slice of that pie? Why, hey, everybody, we're back, and it's time for the Geek Week in Review. Oh, speaking of Conley, I should also mention that it seems like uh, next uh, Monday, was it next Sunday, the 4th, for, uh, May the 4th, mm-hmm. it seems like we're shaping up to have a Star Wars-centric podcast starring oh, uh, uh, Conley and Jimmy. Excellent. Oh, that'll be good. So, yeah. Be I, well, I, I forgot I didn't have Jimmy's email address, but Jimmy and I, we had a conversation this week uh, over Twitter messages there's a whole thing about the John Williams concert we'll have to talk about on next week's podcast, which is hilarious. Essentially, Jimmy has my seat at the John Williams show tomorrow. Oh, does um, he? Yeah, there's a whole thing that happened. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> oh, he snuck in at the last moment. Uh, so, yeah, we're all going to be... Well, I guess Conley, it's going to be me. Uh, yeah, it's uh, hopefully next week's podcast should be me, Annie, Jimmy, Conley, and Mike Russell. All talking awesome. about Star Wars bullshit. Oh, that'll be good. The yeah, only thing that could awesome. make it better is if we could fly in my mom. Yeah, I know, exactly. And if it makes you feel any better, Mike hasn't seen the Clone Wars yet either. So me and Conley and Jimmy can talk about the Clone Wars, but we'll try to keep it down so we're not just like, oh my god, my favorite episode was the part where Merdekakabotra push. I'm glad I'll have someone to be alienated with. That'll yeah. be good. But, I mean, well, you know, there's, there's nothing happens in the Clone Wars you couldn't predict, is all I'm saying. <laughs> did I talk about so, how I finished the Clone Wars? Yes, you did. It was pretty good. No, I didn't. You tricked me. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that's right. You had one season left last time we talked. Yeah, about no, I finished it this week. Uh, there's nothing to say that I'm not going to say next week, except it was good. I'm glad you enjoyed it, Bill. I really am. I mean, I really am glad just because so much Star Wars media is garbage that you have yeah. to kind of hold your nose and swallow and try and find something you like in it as opposed to actually enjoyable. I'm well, glad you legitimately Especially this it. being the last bit of like the content George Lucas is ever going to have anything to do with. Yeah. So it's yeah. kind of like, oh my God. It, it, it's, it's good enough that I'm honestly... I kind of wonder, because uh, if you look up any kind of special features about the, the show... Um, the guy who wrote, or who wrote and directed a lot of the episodes, and especially the showrunner of the Clone Wars, he keeps on talking about how this character idea was was an idea of George Lucas's, or this character, or this like story arc was an idea George Lucas had. Part of me is like, are they just lying to make George Lucas seem cooler? Because I can't believe <laughs> it'd be capable of some of these like interesting story decisions. But anyway, so that's the Clone Wars. We'll t- we'll be talking more about that next week. So the but... creator of Farscape said at WonderCon that a Farscape movie is really happening. Yeah, so you've, you've still never seen Farscape? 
No, all I know is that it has Claudia Black and Muppets. You think Claudia Black would enough to get you to even just like watch the pilot or something? <laughs> I, Claudia I Black have, is pretty good in it. I have a low tolerance for syndicated sci-fi television, especially with starring Muppets. Uh, not even that. I don't know. There's something about. I think it's mostly the cult around Star Trek, and Star Trek is so yeah. not my jam that I just kind of like. I will watch the syndicated like, and I specifically mean like spacefaring sci-fi kind oh, yeah. of like. Generally speaking, the Star Trek model where it's like where you have the same sets because they're in a spaceship, and mm-hmm, then there yeah. are brief visits to other places that are planets or whatever. But like that's the core, and it's the cast of characters, and there's about landish aliens. Like I have a really low tolerance for that, and it's I, I don't know why. I I just I like the idea of that sort of setting and that the way it kind of focuses and compresses your characters, and it's all about their interactions. But there's just something about it where I start to watch that shit, my eyes just roll in the back of my head. The only reason, well, aside from Claudia Black, the fact that it's an Australian production and there's lots of mm-hmm. hot Australian women in there kind of makes me. I'm kind of surprised Foley's never. Like, well, see, that's really what I was about to say. Spin. I will watch that kind of stuff only when my wife is really invested in it because yeah. that's why I watched a lot of Stargate Atlantis because she liked she likes Stargate Atlantis. So that's a good point. She's as soon as she figures out the Claudia Black and the Australia connection, we're probably gonna watch. And Claudia Farscape. Black is pretty goddamn awesome in there. She's I mean, great. I when I started watching Farscape, my eyeballs were rolling so far into my fucking head they almost fell out with all the Muppet shit. <laughs> Yeah, but it was the, the funny thing is it is actually more like Star Wars than Star Trek because it's much more ragtag action adventure. Sure. Uh, the whole point is it's it's a bunch of like uh, thieves and uh, criminals on the run. It's not supposed to be you know they're not it's not like some scientific organization going off exploring the galaxy sure. or anything like that. So, but yeah, no, Farscape is actually pretty good and yeah. So the creator of the show was at Farscape. God knows if there's ever actually going to be a movie, but he was just claiming that they have the green light to actually start work on a script and blah 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 man that's nuts who's gonna give a sparsegate movie money? well that's the thing you know what i was wondering why he like this is coming up now i kind of wonder if uh galaxy of the Gar- galaxy of the what the hell's it called galaxy of the guardians, guardians of the guardians galaxy. of the galaxy if that does well because that's essentially the same idea a sure. bunch like the guy uh, actually you know what that actually is almost the exact same farscape is almost the same just where you've got this human from earth who's run off into the uh, deep end of the galaxy and now, is now running around on a spaceship with a bunch of crazy aliens if that does well I'm sure sci-fi is going to be like, yeah, let's make, like, fucking 15 Farscape movies, because it's almost the same thing. And Farscape's already got its own built-in audience and everything, but that movie bombs, you never can hear about Farscape ever again. Yep. Yeah. Oh, man. Crazy. In more important news that I'm actually really chuffed about, Dragon Age 3 will be out October 7th. Tell me, I didn't even write down the details. What are the details? What's going on with Dragon Age 3? I'm so excited about Dragon Age 3. Aww. The last PAX I went to, I went to a big panel on it, and they were talking about it and showing footage from did it. They take, so did, 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 uh, did they take your suggestion? Who's at the uh, whole point of the panel? They were like, tell us what you want to be in Dragon Age 3. Oh, that was in, uh, that was the first PAX I went to. There was a Dragon Age panel that was basically a Dragon Age 2 post-mortem where they're like, of course, there's nothing announced, so we can't talk about Dragon Age, another yeah. Dragon Age game. But if we were, what do you think about this? And they basically were like, it was basically a olive branch um, with the fan backlash against Dragon yeah, Age 2. I didn't realize. I still, it wasn't until recently I really uh, understood just how much people fucking hate Dragon Age 2. Oh, yeah. And I totally get it. See, I was a person who didn't like Dragon Age Origins, yeah. so therefore I loved Dragon Age 2 because they kind of <laughs> shucked all the stuff I didn't care about yeah. and 
focused on the things that I did care about. So, of course, I liked it. And, of course, it sounds like Dragon Age Inquisition is going to be a happy medium, which I'm pretty excited about. What, but, what, what, um, what's the stuff from the first game that they're kind of bringing back? Is it, like, just, like, gameplay mechanics stuff or story stuff or what? So the big thing in Dragon Age 2 is that they, they stripped out a lot of the choice of who your character was. Yeah. Whereas Dragon Age Origins was really stress on the origins. It was all about your character and where they came from, and you had all these different choices, and they were all dramatically different, even though they led you down this more or less the same path. Yeah. Whereas in Dragon Age 2, you played Hawk. You play this very set character, and the only real difference... Could be male or female, but yeah. Male or female, and you could be a rogue, a warrior, or a mage. But that was pretty much it, and people did not like that. And so this game, they've gone back to having all the character choice, and you can be okay. all these different races, and they even added some new races. You can be a Kunari, which I'm excited about, and uh, it'll it's going to be really good. I'm excited about it. Though I love that the pre-order bonus, so the special edition, um, there's this whole, uh, they added this whole aspect of these holds, these strongholds that you can get all over the area, and they're like your base of operations. And so there's going to be this assault aspect where you can enter the castle. You can either gain the hold through direct assault or through trickery, or you can like siege them out and all that stuff. And so there's going to be that element. But one of the pre-order bonuses is that you get a fancy seat for your holds. Like this fancy DLC seat. That appears like in all your holds? I I guess. I don't know. Oh god, it's terrible to talk about this in your holes. Uh, so that's the really so it's like a yeah. like a throne. Oh yeah, it's gonna be really good. I'm sure, totally worth it. What the fuck? But, what else? Anything like do you got like a cloth map or anything? Uh, I can't remember all the other things. I was just like, whatever. I'm gonna buy the fancy. As edition. someone who, who will probably play this game, buy and play this game, just because there's doesn't seems like there may not be a whole hell of a lot out uh, this fall. Do you recommend playing through the first two Dragon Ages? Um, just all keep, you need to know. Out? Not really, because uh-huh. all you need to, I'm sure there's going to be some connections, but they've done a good job of making all the games really discreet. Yeah. Um, the events of Dragon Age 2 sort of lead into the events of Dragon Age 3, but all you need to know is that uh, Fantasy Kingdom is overrun by these creatures from below, and uh, you barely managed to beat them back in the first game. In the second game, the fragile balance between magic and non-magic is broken by an extreme terrorist attack. And in the third game, somehow the there is a bolt of green light from the sky that breaks. And the dimensional blah blah blah, fade, blah blah blah, bad guys all around. Turns out the hero is actually so, Elizabeth from Bioshock. There you go. She just showed up. <laughs> You're not wrong, my friend. Hey, guys, I'm a new playable <sighs> character. Fuck you. Uh, it doesn't seem like characters from uh, Dragon Age 2 are carrying over to Dragon Age 3 in terms of, like, uh, NPCs or whatever. Like, Because I know people, like, specifically love, like, Mass Effect 2-style characters from Dragon Age 2. At oh, least. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. There was, uh, the, so the Dragon Age 2 had a framing device where it was this woman who was a member of the Inquisition, Cassandra, uh-huh. is interrogating this dwarf guy, Varric. Varric is telling the story of Hawk to Cassandra. Okay. So the joke is that, like, the, the kind of cleverness behind that device is that any variations between one person's playthrough and another is just Varric, like, you know... Yeah, like, just, just, yeah. Embellishing details yeah. of a very unreliable narrator. 
And uh, but anyway, the in uh, you cannot romance Varric in Dragon Age Two because he is telling the story. Perhaps though he was just not telling about your relationship because it hurt him so. <laughs> but anyway, in Dragon Age Three, um, Cassandra is actually a member of your party because you are in the Inquisition. You are the Inquisitor, in fact. Oh, okay. And uh, Varric is also a member of your party. They also bring back Leliana, who is from the first game, and you learn at the end of Dragon Age 2 is also a member of the Inquisition. And... Who are the fuckable characters? Isn't there a super hot, badass lady that everyone wants to shut uh, up in uh, Dragon Age 2? Or at least the people, the players with taste? Uh, I thought there was, like, that... some super, like, Morgana. Or some kind of, like... I've heard very specifically where people are like, man, Dragon Age 2, you just gotta, it's just worth playing for just for stuffing so-and-so lady. Isabella? Or so-and-so guy. Isabella is the hot pirate lady voiced by Claudia Black. Oh, maybe that's her. I don't know. I, this is why I haven't been paying attention to that. This is why I feel like I should catch up so I could be like, oh yeah, I Isabella, really like how you Dragon doing? Age. I really like Dragon Age 2. Dragon yeah. Age 2 has a lot of flaws, but I like your the relationship between those characters, and I really like the relationship between... Um, um, Ariana and is that her name? Oh my god! That Shame on me. She's you my favorite character. Are there multiple endings in Dragon Age Two? There are a few. The most notably, it's it's a pretty inevitable thing. Like well, just one anything... event happens that yeah, shakes I don't know if they, the they world. had to worry about anything being rendered non-canon going. Well, I, I, like I don't know if well, it was structured anything like uh, like Mass Effect. Well, they are gonna load your save. They did. They had a save. See, connection that's what between... I'm saying. Maybe that's worth it. Just to even play Dragon Age Two. I gotta tell you, I did not import my save from uh, Dragon Age 1 to Dragon Age 2, and I did not care. I'll just tell uh, you that. What, what color ending are you already uh, thinking about choosing for uh, Dragon Age 3? Whichever one gets my dick wet, son! <laughs> uh, so can you play as different genders? Yeah. Okay. I, I, I love I, I love. So now you can, you should, so you can decide whether or not you want your dick wet or your labia wet. Exactly. Or more wetted. Or either my dick wet or my metaphorical dick wet, my yeah, friend. Exactly, yeah. So. Anyway, Dragon Age 3, I'm really excited. They you want your announced. vulva pumped. My wife and I have already, we're already discussing, like, are we going to take that weekend off? So yeah. Let's play game. What else like, is going to come out this fall? Unless they really some knockout crazy announcement at E3 this year. Announcement at E3 this year is going to be mostly, like, we have uh, Octodad 2. Well, Octodad, Octodad Deadliest Catch is, I think, technically Octodad 2. Oh, really? I think so. Oh, okay. Well, it's interesting is that we're really excited about Dragon Age... Because um, we do like those games. But yeah, it, it kind of forced my wife and I to like analyze what we have on pre-order. I canceled my pre-order for Watch Dogs for the third time. This will be the third time I have pre-ordered you know, that it game canceled looks it. fucking stupid. That sounds like a good idea. Well, you know what? At the end of the day, I didn't really make this connection until Polygon came out with some review that said, yeah, it's essentially Grand Theft Auto, but with hacking elements. And yeah. that you could not come up with a sentence that would interest me less about a game. Well, it seemed like... A, a, Back when everyone thought it would just be Assassin's Creed with a phone instead of a, you know, instead of See, like, a, like a See, that's a pitch you blade. can get me on. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. But at least that would be something different. But yeah, if it really is just... Well, and like, it's not even... I'm not even worried about the gameplay stuff. I'm just worried when it comes to Watch Dogs, the writing, where it's going to be like, yeah, you're a super gruff-voiced white guy who's like, yeah, I'm going to take down the system. And it's I all like know. crappy near-future bullshit. At the end of the day, with writing in games, I always assume the worst and am pleasantly surprised by anything else. Yeah. Like, uh, 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 if the general premise is intriguing enough to me, I'll try it, even if I know it is going to be terrible. 
And yeah, the premise of Watch Dogs is kind of intriguing to me, and it seems like kind of a clever... I like the idea of hacking in games and like mm-hmm. being able to read people's emails and doing all that stuff is really intriguing to me. But yeah, the Grand Theft Auto element, you could not interest me less. I don't want to get in a fast car. I want to hack the Matrix. Oh, shit, we've been getting notes from people. I forgot that there's uh, people can actually leave us feedback. Uh, Jacob Dahl says, wow, fuck Ken Levine. This is from like an hour ago. I was um, going to say, here's the part where Bill just reads things from the past. Why okay. does he not want to make it that they're tweeting at us? I just want to no, tweeting I'm, at us. I'm but just being a dick. Uh, Jacob Dahl also says, I've never seen a franchise take such a hard turn towards being awful as Bioshock. Bioshock 2 is still pretty good, though. Uh, Brian Smith asks, have you guys watched The Bravest Warriors? We just started watching it, and it is so good, better than Adventure Time. I have only watched uh, a, a couple of episodes of uh, Bravest Warriors. It's very cute. I've read actually more of the comics, oddly. Yeah, it's no Bee and Puppycat, though. Well, no, nothing is what, Bee what and can Puppycat, be? my friend. Have you been keeping up with Steven Universe? I have not watched any episodes since the pilot. Oh, you know what? That's the thing. Now that I'm done with Clone Wars, I need. I think I'm going to start finally catching up on Adventure Time. Finally, yeah. what you know, what what's really pushing me towards that is the fact that they just started season six of Adventure Time. Yeah, which blows my fucking mind because they just wrapped yep. up season five of Adventure Time less than a month ago, and season five of Adventure Time like was like two years long. Yeah, did they ever uh-huh. stop making Adventure Time for more than four weeks? Their what concept the of what a season is or is not is very abstract. <laughs> one, well, that's the thing. If, if, if Adventure Time was just like old Looney Tunes cartoons or like old Mickey Mouse cartoons where there was no story or plot to keep up with, if it was just like random shit happening for 15 minutes every week, that'd be one thing. But like, it's interesting that they're, they're cranking that's this much material out and there's an actual shape to the story. There's an actual like plot elements and characters change and stuff like that. Well, what I like crazy. about Adventure Time is that there's no canon until there is, yeah. which is a really kind of awesome way to approach approach things i'm just waiting for gravity falls to come back shit <laughs> but yeah no yeah i guess we haven't watched the bravest warriors yet isn't bravest warriors that's just youtube only right correct oh, correct okay. yeah it's part of the cartoon hangover much like uh uh um being puppy cat is okay. so. uh, what else yeah. cute shit uh, let's see, I clicked away from show notes because we're talking about enough other things. Uh-oh. Assassin's Creed Unity will reportedly feature four-player story co-op. Yeah, so it sounds like that's going to be the... And I guess that would be unique only to the next-gen console version. Mm. By mm. next-gen, I mean current-gen because we bought them on PlayStation 4s. Because we're rich, white, middle-class Americans. <laughs> How you doing if you're in Japan? You sc- Oh, no, no, it's actually in Japan. Where's Where's PlayStation 4 not out at? From Europe? Is Europe a country? Wow. <laughs> there's actually, there's absolutely nothing else to talk about other than the rumor that the Assassin's Creed may have four player. Uh, story co-op, which is interesting. Well, that I is wonder, cool. If it would be, I, maybe it's not campaign stuff. I wonder if just, they're just going to do the, uh, sat, the um, Call of Duty thing where it's a separate mode where there's like specific yeah. missions. Or like, yeah, like in Red Dead Redemption where they had like the story-based missions that you could play with other people. That's true. But that'd be kind of nice. I mean, that's the... the, Assassin's Creed needs something. Just moving it to France, uh, giving everyone French accents isn't going to cut it. They need something. And, you know, multiplayer is far more compelling to me when it's cooperative multiplayer as opposed to like deathmatch sort of multiplayer. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Hooray on that. Of course, I don't have four people. Sorry, everyone, but I don't have four people I really would want to play <laughs> narrative game with. That's what I was going to say, because I would love to play with you, but you would never want to play with me. <laughs> it's, well, no, I'm, I'm like, okay, so I play with you, I don't, and like maybe Jimmy, and I guess Brian has PS4, I Well, think? by phone, so, okay, you're on PlayStation 4. 
I'm sorry, what? Buy fully her own PlayStation 4. God, no. <laughs> we had talked about doing that for Xbox, and I'm just saying, if we couldn't get the get it up know, to do that during the entire life of the Xbox 360, we're not going to do it for the Come this on. One. Yeah. Nope. Uh, Epic's, oh, uh, Naughty Dog's art director, Nate Wells, the guy who jumped ship from Irrational when Infinite was stuck in the mud, left the studio to join the indie team that made Unfinished Swan. I completely forget what Unfinished Swan was. So Nate Nate Wells, I may be misremembering, but I think he was also the art director on um, Enslaved. Yeah, you know what? I think that sounds about right, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So therefore, we can only assume that um, fucking hunky uh, dudes. The team that did Unfinished Wonder are now working on a uh, post-apocalyptic urban environment that's become uh, swarming with foliage. Start starring a guy with glistening pecs. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I, this, this, this kind of leads into the narrative of, uh, AAA game developers leaving to join indie studios. Yeah. Yeah. Man, have you played Unfinished Swan? What the hell is Unfinished Swan? It's on PS3. I think it's designed to be a, uh, move-enabled game. Oh no. It's really awkward to play with your controller. Oh no. The gameplay is kind of intriguing. It's a largely blank canvas sort of environment Mm -hmm. and you there are textures there and the only way you can see the shapes of the environment is by shoot there are some where it's visible but you can shoot black ink oh i did hear about this shit yeah okay and then you can see the shape of the environment around Uh you and navigate through the environment and uh the storytelling like the story is like some sort of children's story that's being told i don't know i could not get into it and it was kind of yeah, fucking great. It's one of those things that looked intriguing but wasn't actually interesting to play. I'm such an asshole, god damn it. But yeah, unfinished swan. More like unfinished yawn. <laughs> oh, Cause I didn't finish it because I was so busy yawning. Yeah, I, I hate our uh, DRM has a PlayStation 4 too, so we could always play with them. Oh there, just because you have a PlayStation 4 doesn't that necessarily mean anyone wants to play with you. Everyone, Grumpy Turtle oh, don't be a who jackass. has probably long since li- stopped listening to the podcast can can can, can uh, vouch for the fact that just because you're on a social network with Annie and you can play games with her does not mean she's going to step down from her throne to to uh-huh. to mingle with the unwashed minions. You guys assume that anytime I'm on a console and online, that means that in that moment I want to play multiplayer. I don't like multiplayer. We talked about this at length, I and know, I have to be I in know, a very I particular know. mood for it. So just... we're assuming that the al- planets have to align in such a way that everyone is online <laughs> and I'm in the mood to play multiplayer game. Were you tempted at all case. to buy trials? I downloaded the demo a little bit. Oh, there is a demo on PlayStation 4? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I played some Trials. It's a cute, cute game. But you're not 20 yeah. bucks cute. I enjoy it, but it's, at the end of the day, like, I was talking to Bill during the break. I'm in the mood for a particular sort of game. I don't know what that game is, but the games I keep playing are not scratching that itch. Trials is not the game I'm NES Remix. Right you could just, like, you know... Uh-huh. There we go. You solved the problem. Epic Studios, the guys behind the Unreal Engine, says that only one-third as many AAA games are in development for current consoles as there were at the equivalent time in the 360 PS3 console cycle. Yeah. But the games being developed now have three times the budgets. Ugh. Which explains why we haven't heard about as many uh, new games coming out. Or at least big, yeah. big, big games. It makes sense. Like, as games get more expensive to make, they're going to be less expensive games it's weird because the same thing is happening with movies too where the movie budgets are just ballooning exponentially just because they figure the more money you throw at something the bigger 
the bigger the profits. So, I mean, this has been happening with the last generation too, where it's like you, you we've lost the middle ground games. Mm-hmm. Like there aren't as many middle like just A games as opposed to triple A games. So you got this vast gulf between really expensive, have to do well triple A games, and then these like well, little games like games. Enslaved. Yeah, where yeah. it was, you know, a well-produced game, but it wasn't like being positioned as the next tentpole uh, gaming a published game for that pub for, for, for like that publisher for the next year. Right? You know, it wasn't like. But even then, that was I would say that Enslaved was a triple A game. I'm thinking more like as I was playing, remember like Katamari Damacy or any kind of weird quirky games. Like, but that weren't that quite indie. But yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, they're just Beetle less... Adventure Racing. <laughs> exactly, that's what I'm saying. It's yeah. just interesting. It's it'd be interesting to see in a year what games we can play in our PS4 because I have a feeling it's not going to be a whole lot anymore. I think that's one reasons why Sony is was so smart to have this whole indie game initiative because then they can have these intriguing like smaller titles to kind of fill in the gaps while yeah. these AAA games don't come out. Whereas Microsoft is still doubling down on Call of Duties and, and Titanfalls and all that yeah. shit. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see that they're they're, they're going to have a. Uh, 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 marijuana skin for your gun in uh, yeah. Call of Duty now. They know their market. Between that and the Snoop Dogg shit and like you dress up like Michael Myers and stab people, they're really going for the most white trash juggalo fucking market with that Call of Duty stuff. They, it's, 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 like, it's like they've officially given up. It's like their marketing department just believes the stereotype of what gamers are. Well, I mean, they're, they're not wrong, though. That shit's gonna make them yeah. a small mint, but it's just... At that point, that's the point where it's not stereotype, it actually just is. Not all gamers, but, like, there's enough gamers out there that, like, they're they're totally justified in doing that, but it's just like, oh, man, it's so greasy and nasty. Some Hot Topic bullshit. Not even Hot Topic, it's like Spencer's Gifts. Call of Duty is the Spencer's Gifts of gaming. In other news, GameStop is converting a bunch of stores into phone and computer shops and a move to shift away from games. Yeah, that's weird to see them actually come out and say, hey, games... Selling games aren't is just isn't making as much as much money as it used to, so we're just going to start converting like a couple hundred of our stores into other stuff. Yeah. So that's that's again that that's shrinking game market stuff. It's interesting because I feel we're like we're talk starting about in five to... years when there's no games. The fiscal cycle and the development cycle of these things can be so delayed from the economic cycle, or, or which is to say, the economic shifts when the changes that it causes and like the like the the kind of taste like the folks who are actually creating the product and marketing the product since that yeah. reaction could be so delayed. We're just now starting to see the impact of the shrinking AAA game market in mm-hmm. a real and viable way. It's just kind of interesting. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, the oral history of MST3K and reboot, question mark, Bill says evocatively. Uh, so you don't care about Mystery Science Theater 3000, but... I, I why do. Are, well, I no, that sounds to be accusatorial, but if I just suddenly take over the conversation, that's why. Uh, yeah, no, Wired just ran a whole, uh, yeah, uh, what, what do you call it? It's in the fucking show notes, an audio history, an oral history. Mm-hmm. An oral history? <laughs> Yeah, no, they ran a great oral history of Mystery Science Theater 3000. It wasn't very long or lengthy or anything like that, but just talking, uh, just interviews with uh, all the creators of Mystery Science Theater, just talking about where the show came from and stuff. Uh, that was cool, but the most interesting thing at the end was Joel Hodgson saying that he means to sometime this spring to relaunch, reboot Mystery Science Theater 3000. Hmm. And uh, he hasn't said anything more about that, but I don't know, that would be cool to see. Well, it's it's... 
they talk about this in the oral history. Uh, the reason why he left was because uh, he started off Mr. Science Theater 3000 at this little uh, rinky-dink uh, TV st uh, station on the outskirts of Minneapolis. And uh, he was in charge of all the creative stuff, and the guy who ran mm -hmm. the TV show, he just put him in charge of all the business stuff in Mystery Science Theater 3000. So essentially, they essentially owned two different halves of Mystery Science Theater 3000. As the show started getting more popular, uh, this guy, Jim Mallon, the guy who ran the TV show, he kept on trying to turn Mr. Science Theater 3000 into a movie and trying to spin it off and all this other stuff that Joel Hodgson didn't want to get involved in. He's just like, we have a TV show. I just want yeah. to keep on making this ringy-dink TV show because that's the best thing we do. This is what this is the identity of the show. And so eventually he, uh, Joel Hodgson left because this guy would not change. They're like, we got to make a movie. we got to do this. And so they had a big falling out. So I don't know if he can... Unless he's made amends with this Jim Mallon guy, I don't know if Joel Hodgson even has could even use the Mystery Sense Theater uh, Mystery Sense Theater three thousand name, or if had to like, if he would have to essentially just like come up with a whole new thing where it's it's like Mystery Science Theater three thousand, yeah. but I don't know. We'll see what happens with that, but hmm. I don't know. We'll see. As long as it has puppets and silhouettes, I don't care. <laughs> That's all we need, my well, friend. Well, that's the other thing, too, because Mr. Science Theater was 3,000 was so much about very specific writers they had. Yeah. That, like, he'd have to get a whole new talent pool, and hopefully he could just get the band back together. Just call it Mr. Yeah. Science Theater 3,000. Try to get as many of the old writers back. It's kind of like with Futurama. Where yeah. It's like, it was uh, so yeah. much about a very particular combination of personalities that it's kind of hard to bring that back without that combination of personalities. Yeah, exactly. Because if you can't, especially if you can't get the same writers back, you might as well just call it a different show. Yeah. Um, I don't know. We'll see what happens with that. But that, that's kind of cool. I don't know. In other news, a whole bunch of HBO stuff is coming to Amazon Prime next month. That's right. HBO and Amazon Prime signed a deal where any content that is, or excuse me, TV shows that are three years and older will be coming yeah. to Amazon Prime. Is that what it is? Yeah. So it's like so. the uh, all of the wire, uh, the Sopranos, Deadwood. Yeah. Pretty much anything that's oh, uh, anything older than three years is coming to uh, Amazon. Exclusively, that's cool. too. It's a pretty big coup for Amazon, and it's a nice way for HBO to address all the people who are like, I just want HBO Go. I don't want HBO. Mm. It's like a way for them to kind of scratch that itch without um, uh, robbing their current model. Yeah, I mean, I've never seen anything beyond the first season of The Sopranos, so I'll probably sit down and actually end up finishing The Sopranos now as a result of that. I'm excited Did to you... try and make my wife watch Deadwood. Has she, she's never seen Deadwood. Nope. Has she never seen, seen Calamity Jane? No. Seventeen that lady talking with a mouthful of marbles. Deadwood's so kind of a weird show. show. It's kind of pokey, and the plotting is kind of weird, but it's not. And it's good. very meandering, and but Al Strangin and Clammy Jane. It's totally a show that's uh, that's worth watching for the personalities in it. Doesn't Kristen Bell show up in that? Yeah, for she's a swindler. Yeah, there's there's that show's full of people who have now gone on to do other things. So you, you know what? I haven't seen Deadwood since it first came out. <laughs> but I know enough people have become stars on their own rights as a result of that. You'll be like, oh my god, it's Larry. Larry's playing a prostitute in this episode. Why Larry's <laughs> playing a prostitute, I have no idea. But like that kind of thing where it's like, oh, yeah. oh, oh my god. Um, yeah. Did you see the other thing that uh, Amazon... Do you still have Amazon Prime? Yeah. Did you see the Amazon Prime pantry thing they launched this week? You know, I did. I wasn't looking for it, but I accidentally found something that was on Amazon Prime pantry and I was like, what the hell is this? So, so explain it to me, Paul. What did you find? Oh, um, I'm looking for particular sort of um, lotion for my tattoo healing, yeah. and uh, I found a small tube of it, but it's only available through pantry. This like, is only helpful is to me because uh, I don't own a car, uh, but uh, they they started this thing where if you have Amazon Prime, 
you could have up to 45 pounds of dry goods delivered to your house for six bucks. Hmm. Yeah, you have to pay six bucks on top of your Amazon Prime free. It's not a th- uh, free thing. But, uh, I mean, Amazon has always sold groceries, but they've always sold stuff in bulk. And the, mm-hmm. the bulk stuff was always super expensive because, you know, because you're buying, you know, 60 pounds of kitty litter and then they would like, it would just be expensive on top of that because usually you're buying that stuff with a third-party vendor. This stuff is actually being shipped and sold by Amazon in normal quantities. So mm-hmm. if, yeah, uh, you don't, like, as long as you're paying six bucks for it, you could just order that one thing of lotion. <laughs> if you're fine with that one thing of lotion being in a box that would otherwise be able to carry 45 pounds worth of stuff and spending six bucks on top of that, you could have one thing of lotion delivered to your house in 24 hours. Uh, but the other thing is, like, yeah, so up to 45 pounds of stuff delivered to your house, which is nice because, like I said, I don't have a car, so if I want, like, you know, shitload of sodas or beers or kitty litter or something like that delivered to the house, get it, yeah, I just... Another Amazon thing where, like, they're trying to get more into grocery delivery, which yeah. is interesting. Because I know, like, uh, if you live close enough to an uh, an Amazon distribution center, you could actually have, like, fresh groceries delivered from mm-hmm. Amazon, which is weird. Who, the idea of just getting Amazon milk just seems kind of horrifying. <laughs> yeah. But. I hate going grocery shopping, though, so this is really appealing to me. See, that's what I'm saying. And, like, if you, want, you can sit, okay, sit down, like, and it's great because as you fill up your box, it tells you, well, as you're browsing stuff in Amazon Pantry, it tells you how much uh, percentage of your box it will fill up. Yeah, so I know that. Of like, it's like playing, like, grocery Tetris. Just what they need in my real life, inventory management. I know. <laughs> it's, like, it's like managing your weapons in Resident Evil 4. There should, there should be a case where you have to, like, manipulate items and kind of, like, fit them together and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an intrigue. The future, my friends. What else? What else? I love that you put this in our show notes Why? for our general public. The Wind Rises and Ernest and Celestine are showing at the Academy. <laughs> I just want to make note of that because I want to I, I drag a whole bunch of people to go see this. So the Wind Rises, I even checked the show times. The Wind Rises, I forget which one comes first, but I think they're showing in the same theater. So you don't have to get up and theater hop. Like, I think essentially, because, like, one well, like uh, one screening takes place right after the other, and the, the Academy only has, like, three screens. And yeah, there I are saw, other showings. Yeah. I saw this, and I almost went to see The Wind Rises, like, three or four times this week. And did not every time. <laughs> I so. keep on wanting to go, too, but then I'm like, oh, I'm lazy. Well, my thing is that this week, I started to come down with a cold, and my tattoo started itching like a motherfucker. Really? I have no self-control, so I was scratching it in my no! sleep. And uh, it could potentially really fuck up my tattoo yeah. beyond the fact that now my skin is all aggravated. So the tattoo itself is largely healed, but my skin is just going nuts from being scratched and slapped so much. Can't you tape so, your fingers together? Like, like, like. Well, in, I've been like... wearing, I've been wearing socks to sleep, but I in my sleep take off my socks so I can stretch. It's like socks are my hands in my sleep. It's even worse. I need to duct tape it in place. That's or the most erotic thing I've ever heard. Ain't it though? <laughs> So, uh, yeah, my poor wife. <laughs> That's okay. But no, you're going to have to tape, like, the, the socks to your wrists so it becomes really hard. Like, you'll be like, oh, I got to pull the sock. Oh, like, oh, it's taped. Oh, I'm just going back to sleep. Who gives a shit? Anyway, the reason why this is related to me not going to see Ernest and Celestine yeah. or The Wind Rises is that I keep, uh, I've been taking Benadryl to get, to help with the scratching a little bit and also because I've been getting sick. Uh-huh. So I've gone to sleep by 8 o'clock almost every night this week. <laughs> Which is another reason why I don't have a lot of stuff in the show notes, because I'm just like... Yeah. But, so I guess Benadryl's night, been working, huh? It's been helping a little bit, but yeah. yeah. I love Benadryl. I'm surprised mm-hmm. I haven't built up a resistance to that. I'm surprised I don't have to swallow half a bottle just to knock me out these days. Welcome to the Boy Howdy Podcast, brought to you by Benadryl. Yeah! 
And also Amazon Prime Pantry, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Jesus Christ. The Star Wars Expanded Universe Beyond the Clone Wars and Rebels is officially being rendered non-canon. Yeah. This is... I. Lucasfilm had come out and said that this was going to happen anyway. Well, they said they had uh, established a, a council of people at Lucasfilm to decide which parts of the Star Wars Expanded Universe would be uh, canon or non-canon. So people were already kind of bracing themselves for this anyway. And this week they just kind of came out and said, it's all non-canon, except for Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. And the new show being produced by the same people who made Clone Wars the Star Wars Rebel show. Which, that's kind of an easy way to say, unless, if it's not computer generated or part of the movies, it's, yeah, your shit doesn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, which, some people were pissed off, but they had actually a nice little uh, retrospective, Lucasfilm posted YouTube, of just uh, people who work at Lucasfilm now, just kind of like talking about their favorite bits of, like, old Star Wars Expanded Universe, they're talking about, like, the Marvel comics and all the books yeah. and everything like that, so that was kind of nice. It was kind of yeah. a nice way to blunt the, hey guys, all the shit you spent money on that you think is canon... It ain't no more. They were like, but we, I, I like those books. They're good. Yeah. I grew up yeah. with the Timothy Zahn books. And so that was kind of cute. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's nothing that people didn't see coming now. Ronald McDonald and Taco Bell are getting hipster makeovers oh, man. to quote Ronald McDonald's selfies, here I come. So you didn't see anything about this? It's worth no. clicking the link just to see what hipster... Well, actually, people are t- complaining about how this Ronald McDonald makeover makes him look so hipstery. If you didn't realize he was wearing cargo pants, like, it's it's actually relatively not offensive. What is offensive is the uh, press release that was put out in conjunction with this, where Ronald McDonald is quoted as saying, selfies, here I come. And they're talking oh. about, and, and like the language of the press release is like, we have synergized the blah, 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 the rising trends. They specifically say that this McDonald, this, this, this run of, like, they're, they're not trying to renovate the food or anything. It's all about Ronald McDonald and how they're trying to, like, they pretty much say everything they can without saying the word hipster. And they specifically say we're trying to target Ronald McDonald towards people who are very picky about their lifestyles but not very picky about what they eat. Which is the weirdest way to say we're trying to go for hipsters who only do it for fashion but still eat garbage. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, they kind of redesigned uh, Ronald McDonald's look. He's got like, he looks more, like, I don't know, he, he just, yeah. Oh, man, and this is crazy. So I'm, I clicked on Bill's link, and they talk about how Taco Bell has launched something called U.S. Taco Co.? Yeah, which uh, serves food that's more food truck inspired fusion Annie, range of ingredients. Any please, it's United. It's the U.S. Taco Company and Urban Tap Room. Quote oh unquote. my god! This includes tacos like Winner Winner, a fried chicken breast topped with south of the border, or sob gravy and roasted pico de gallo, or the one percenter, which is lobster poached and garlic butter with red cabbage slaw, or the brotherly love, U.S. tacos nod to the Philly cheesesteak with roasted poblano queso and absolutely nothing to do with Philadelphia. Did you see what this stuff is served with, though? With uh, beers mixed with milkshakes served in mason jars. That's nuts. Which actually sounds pretty... I don't drink beer, but that sounds like a great idea. But it's still trying to go for that kind of, like... Yeah, urban hipster. Like, it seems like, like, I wonder if they send a team to Portland for, like, food trucks and kind of, like, there's a lot of eateries here in Portland that are to have the just kind of stuff. Not, like, the food, but, like, the Mason, like, the beer milkshake and jars thing. That seems like the totally something you'd have in Portland. But I wonder wow. if, like, these restaurants are still going to be staffed with, like, shiftless, unaffected, like, teenagers? 
Well, these because... are these are flagship stores that they will, if succeeding, roll out. Like Starbucks tried to do something recently to this, where they tried to do like regional like coffee shop sort of things, but owned by Starbucks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is going to be a very limited thing. This is not them. I, I was what confused are you talking because. About? The way you phrased it, it sounded like they were going to try and rebrand all existing stores to be no, like this. No, but they they're going to try to turn this into a new chain, though. That's especially kind of like trying to be kind of like a the Taco Bell thing is especially is trying to be like this McMinimizzy kind of yeah bullshit. And well, that's the other thing with the Taco Bell like that you have to hire the right people because half the time when you, when you go to a mom and pop great food place it's about the people who are actually invested in the food and they have great personalities and stuff like that you can't have a chain like this where it's run by like you said like run by teenagers who are just like yeah. taking frozen food and just like it can't just be a taco bell with just like a little facade I on the front you, of it bill that the corporate deciders who did this part of their idea of because this is like a demo like a target thing who they staff will be part of that oh i, I know i know you I know. They're not going to let just, like, any plebe get in there. Do you it's think gonna they're going to force someone... people to wear fake tattoos? <laughs> I hope so. Um, but, yeah, no, it kind of kills me. The Ronald McDonald rebranding, though, uh, the person who designed his new hipster costume was the same lady who designed uh, the costumes for Into the Woods, which kind of shows how how kind of out of touch they are that when they're trying to design hipster Ronald McDonald, they go to, like, a 90-year-old Broadway costume designer rather than, like, anyone, like... It's just that. That's because they don't want actual hipsterness. They want like a cartoon depiction of hipsterness. Why did they not just? You know what? The new Ronald McDonald should just been uh, Joaquin Phoenix from Her. (laughs) Because he's got big tall pants. (laughs) Just be Lars and the Real Girl era. It should just Uh, been him with a hamburger, just like. Man, I fucking love this hamburger, this Whopper. (laughs) You gotta stick my dick in this hamburger. Oh no! Oh my god! I just made created hamburger sacrilege. By confusing McDonald's with with Whoppers. <laughs> uh, Steven Spielberg has signed on to direct a movie version of Road Dolls, the BFG, next spring. Do you know anything about the BFG? I've never read it. I read it a long time ago, and I cannot remember anything. See, I, 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 the only only know is the BFG is the big fucking gun from Doom. That was so my I first thought, hear that, and I always kind of think the same thing, too. So, But yeah, this sounds actually official. It's not like rumored or anything like that. They came out and said, yep, he's going to start filming next fall, or next spring. Uh, do you care about Jurassic Park stuff at all? Uh, it has Chris Pratt in it, so that degree. You know what? I had no idea. Also, I was reading in the New Entertainment Weekly, and they mentioned that, and I was like, what? Chris, Chris Pratt's in everything. I'm invested in Jurassic Park to the extent that I love my friend Conley, and Conley loves Jurassic Park more than life itself. Yeah. And her love, like life, finds a way. So therefore, I am excited about Jurassic Park. Well, our Park. Friends, uh, friends of the podcast, Katie and Dylan, they're going off to Hawaii this week. And they just start, started filming the new Jurassic Park movie this week, too. So I'm like, man, I told them, watch out for Chris Pratt. Watch out for Velociraptors <laughs> and stuff. And uh, just exactly. saying. They might end up... Ha- they Don't might worry end up about sh- it, because... They might... En- I'm just saying, these guys might end up sharing the United States taco company, an urban tap room, mocha, iced, mason jar, beer with, with beer. Chris Pratt. I'm not worried about their safety because they are clever girls. There we go. That's the extent of my understanding of Jurassic Park. I've used it all. <laughs> see, I, see, I feel bad because, like, there's a whole generation that grew up with Jurassic Park as being kind of their default, like, big summer movie kind of goofy action movie. Yeah. And, yeah, I just don't understand. I'm, I not technically... gonna, I'm not trying to slag on Jurassic Park. I technically am that generation, but I yeah. was not allowed to see Jurassic Park because my mom thought it was too scary. Well, also, you were 10. 
And I I only saw Jurassic Park for the first time on TV, and we muted the oh, T-Rex no. so that the roar wouldn't scare me. So that tells you my relationship <laughs> with Jurassic Park. That, that is the worst possible way to watch Jurassic Park. Oh yep. my god. You know what's good movies? Mummies. <laughs> you mean The Mummy? That's a good way to kill a conversation. Do you mummies? mean The Mummy? The Mummy. No, I hate those movies. Did you? You mean, did... you mean the sequel to The Mummy Mummies? Mummies, yeah. In which yeah, a troop we're... of, a, a group of soldiers are sent to the mummy planet to investigate it. <laughs> Rachel Weiss is so burned out, so freaked out by your experiences in the first one. <laughs> Oh my god, you know, she's she's like butch, and she has like a big machine gun, (laughs) and a tank top, and a a high She stabs herself into the Eiffel Tower and has to fight the super giant mummy at the end. There we go. I'm trying to think of anything that's like Victorian England, or I don't know. Uh, Hey, tell me about this. No, giant bookcase, because doesn't she not, oh man, we're losing listeners now that we're talking about the mummy. Um, Doesn't she knock over bookcases? Maybe she has a big bookcase robot suit. There we go. That she uses to punch us. The and it turns out the, the the instead of the queen mummy, it's the yummy mummy. Bill, explain this to me. Google Plus is finally being put to sleep. Uh, yeah. So the guy who created Google Plus, he just left the company, uh, supposedly because uh, Google is. They're not stopping Google Plus anytime soon, but they they've stopped. Um, they've taken away. There's no more staff members working on Google Plus or anything like that. So it's yeah. not be it's not being supported within the company anymore. Thank fucking Christ. What does that mean for our podcast? Consider we do it through we do it sometimes like today through Google Hangout. Well, they said they're, they're uh, I, I didn't realize the Google Plus team was huge. It was thousands, thousands of people. So they're splitting up the people working on that. I guess most of them are moving over to Android development, just for random, mm-hmm. just Android stuff. But they said some of those people are actually moving over to Google Hangout stuff. Interesting. Which they do need more people to change the settings on Google Hangout every week. <laughs> they, it's, they're having a hard time keeping up with that. Sometimes you can log into Google Hangouts and the broadcast settings are actually the same from one week to another. It kind of freaks it's, me out. But it, I was going to say, it's always very unsettling when I but, see what I expect to see. Uh, yeah, fuck Google+. Plus. Quick on the heels of Comixology being bought out by Amazon, Amazon has just released a new version of the Comixology app that disables in-app purchases and makes you buy all comics through the Comixology website instead. Yeah, this is really weird fucking arbitrary. Like, why would you shut down in-app purchases for your goofy little comics Because the reason why is that if you do it on the website, then you don't have to cut the proceeds with um, Apple. Oh, I know, but that's just... It's, it's, it's a business decision that's like that that doesn't give a shit about the consumer though. It assumes that the consumer is smart enough to know that they can go to the website to make the purchases, but I, I think know. that by my understanding when you disconnect in-app purchases, you're not allowed to explicitly in the app direct people to where they can make Yeah, purchases. exactly. You just have to understand that like oh, what? Yeah. So it's assuming that their consumer is smart enough to know how to actually access that content. This does not bode well, though. It's just a, a strange. It's interesting. It's it's not necessarily pro consumer, even though as I'm empathetic to them as a entity for making that decision. Oh yeah, you can understand where it's coming a... from, but it's still just like yeah. And this is a quick change. I mean, they just bought Comicsologies like two weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine this is like the first thing they said. It's like, well, we're not gonna, we're not gonna continue cutting. Oh yeah, I'm like, sure. That, well, yeah, when, they, when that was part of the deal, I'm sure that was yeah. Um. But it's interesting because you can still make in-app purchases of items through Kindle. 
Yeah, it's just a weird, a strange, a strange thing. Yeah, this whole Amazon versus Apple thing is really, is really kind of nuts. Yeah, uh, which is good. I mean, it's nice, nice to see companies have uh, competition. But mm-hmm. when the consumer usually gets stuck competition in the ends in favor of the consumer, as the companies try to undercut each other to have the more compelling proposition. This is a case where they kind of poked the consumer in the eye in an yeah. attempt to in that competition. Anyway, yeah. most importantly, everybody hold on to your butts. As the if no ET, one has heard about this yet. The ET landfill has been found. You know what? I was under the impression that they were going to find. Like millions of that. That was the story. Was that there? Yeah. Mi- this landfill is nothing but ETs. Yeah. What I've seen are like three ET cartridges and a couple instruction booklets in a bucket. Yeah. And that's it. What the hell is it? What the hell's going on here, Larry? Here, Major Nelson, tell us what's up. <laughs> Did you see the document? Oh, so okay. So, uh, so the backstory is Microsoft has funded a documentary about. The landfill, and they've paid for the landfill to get excavated. Um, and it's being directed by one of the... Who are the guys who make the... Um, who's the brown guy and the smoking weed guy who make the things with... Neil Patrick Harris shows up. Wow. I have no idea what you're talking about. The dudes who are like, not where's my car. Harold and Kumar. Okay. It's one of the Harold and Kumar guys. Oh, man, we're losing the viewers now. <laughs> now that Bill gets to talk again, you know, this is I why you're a not pattern in our, in our uh, Google Hangouts of this. Uh, but, yeah, so one of the Harold and Kumar guys is actually directing this documentary for Xbox, explicitly for Xbox. This is going to be something like some kind of it's Xbox One exclusive bullshit sometime later on this summer, I'm sure. Uh, but, yeah, so they dug up the E.T. landfill finally. And they found a couple of ETs cartridges. They, yeah. you know, and the, you know, shocking story is that this 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 landfill that everyone knew existed and had suspected it was filled with these things. Turns out that's exactly what happened. <laughs> Who the thunk it? <laughs> this is the video game equivalent of like if you're in the car and you're like, you know what, I think I left, you know, I think I left the the, the electro blanket plugged in before I left the house, and you get home, and you're like, yep. It was plugged in, <laughs> but only if someone were making like a like a five million dollar documentary about it. Yeah, I don't envy anyone who has to develop a drama like any yeah. sort of engaging narrative well, out of this. Well, especially the news is out. Everyone knows they knows they found upwards of five copies of ET in a landfill, yep. along with actually a whole bunch of other cartridges too. But you know, I wonder if this is actually the landfill or if they like I'm Just sure a if landfill. You, yeah. If you dug up any landfill from 1983, you're gonna find ET cartridges. <laughs> like any, like <laughs> that's that's not news. Exactly. Um, yeah. Anyway. Well, and with that, can you believe that all those geek things happened this week as we reviewed them in oh our Geek God. Week in Review? You've been listening to the Boy Howdy Podcast. We're boyhowdypodcast.com, at boyhowdypodcast on the Twitters, howdy at boyhowdypodcast.com. You can send us email or use a contact form on our website. Thanks to our viewers, both of you who watched us as we live streamed this. And we'll be back next week to talk about Star Wars with yeah. friends of the podcast, Jimmy Pressler, Conley Smith, and Mike Russell. It's going to be a challenge to come with uh, Star Wars themed Geek Week and News or uh, Review where it's like, man, did you hear about the new video game they announced? on Christophsis or about like yeah the Jabba the Hutt clan they buried oh, all the Xbox Star ones Wars in the landfill jokes that I don't understand okay I'm just saying <laughs> just wait for more of that next week it's gonna be super good you guys <laughs> it's gonna man if you love Star Wars 
it's still gonna be terrible. <laughs> no, it'll be good times. It's always good when we have a uh, uh, guest in here. Absolutely. All right, friends, we'll talk to you next week. Okay, take care, guys.